0: My favorite story opener is from The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. There was once a boy named Eustace Clarence Scrub, and he almost deserved it. I hear that line and I go, Who would name their kid that? And then how did he have up deserving such a horrendous name? I was thinking about how stories begin because today I want to take you to the book of Jonah, which has a really strange way of beginning. Like, it's not how we would normally start a story. Go ahead and turn with me to the book of Jonah. And depending on your translation, the book of Jonah starts with the word and or now. Which is not how you and I would start a story. If you start a story with the word and, then it kind of means, well, this isn't the beginning of the story. What a strange way to begin a book of the Bible like the prophet Jonah. The ESP translation translates it now. Some translations find it so awkward that they just like skip it and they'll just say the word of the Lord skipping that word now or and, but if we slow down long enough to go, the book of Jonah starts out really weird, and there must be something in that book that God wants to do. Something in that book that God has to draw our attention in and say, no, this actually fits in the Bible. You see, around two-thirds of the book in the Old Testament actually start with this word and. It's kind of like the story started with the book of Genesis, and then to continue on the story the books start with and then this happened as kind of a and here's the continuation and then here's what happens next and then here's what happens next so we get to the book of jonah and jonah has to affirm again guys this belongs in the bible this is not a, a, this is going to be so strange then you got you have to be assured yes this fits in line with all of these other books and so the book of jonah starts with the words with this. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Jonah's Jonah's a prophet too. He's going to be different than all the other prophets. We've got to reassure you of that. But the word of the Lord came to Jonah with a call. He said, go to Nineveh, the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. And notice that what God tells Jonah to say. that, That judgment is coming. There's not a message of hope. There's just this call to Jonah. Go to that great city and say, The judgment is coming. Call out against it. And then these verses say that Jonah flees to Tarshish, the very opposite direction, because he wants to get away from the presence of the Lord. Not just the call of God, but he wants to get away from the presence of the Lord. Today we're going to be looking here in the book of Jonah to see what does God have to say with this. And Jonah too. And then us too. Where, Where do we fit in this story? Let's pray. God... As we open your word, help me to speak it clearly. God, help us to have ears to hear what it is that you have to say to your people, Book to Jonah. I pray to you in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Jonah's call. Jonah, go to the city of Nineveh and call out against it. And there's something in that that rubs Jonah the wrong way so that he would not only not go to Nineveh, he leaves even his own land, the place where he has a job as a prophet, He would rather leave there, go the exact opposite direction because he wants to make it impossible to obey God. There we go. What a strange prophet. His whole job is to speak the word of the Lord and he wants to make it impossible to speak God's message to these people. He goes the opposite direction. And so then the the passage says, so he gets on board a ship and on board that ship, a, a storm comes up against this ship, and it becomes obvious that this is no normal storm, that something is up. The, the guys working on that boat become very afraid, and they start calling out to their gods, and they start casting lots, trying to find out what's wrong. When, when it becomes, finally becomes obvious, and Jonah confesses, instead of saying, yeah, I'm disobeying God, and God is opposing me, turn around and let me go back, Jonah says... Throw me overboard. And I read that and I'm like, what a strange prophet. His whole job is to speak the word of the Lord. And he's like, I would rather die than obey God in this matter. Not only am going to go the opposite direction, you can kill me before I ever obey. I want nothing to do with this. The sailors, they resist throwing him overboard because they, they, they don't want to become that extreme. And so they try harder and eventually it becomes obvious that, that they can't, that they can't, Get back to land, and they're not going to survive this. And so they pick up Jonah, and they throw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men, those sailors, feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Verse 17 says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. I imagine that Jonah would have been like, is, is this what death is like? He gets thrown into the ocean. He has no hope. He's hoping to die. He, this, is, this is his suicide wish. He goes and he go, everything goes dark and it goes smelly and it goes wet. And there there must have been this moment of, is this the end? Is this the very bottom? And somehow in the middle of that, Jonah realizes that God has preserved his life. And so then we hear his, his prayer. And we can pay attention to a lot of things in his prayer. But what I want you to notice Jonah has rejected God's call. He's gone the opposite direction. He said, you can kill me before I obey. And in that moment, he realizes God's mercy. And this is what he says at the end of his song, at the end of his prayer. He says, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. You see, up until that point, Jonah had not gotten that message, Salvation belongs to Israel. Salvation belongs to us. And in that moment, Jonah realizes, no, salvation belongs to the Lord. So then verse, chapter 2, verse 10 says, And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Then in chapter 3, God renews that call to Jonah. So this act, not only is there an act of mercy in preserving his life, then having him spit back out onto dry land, In the beginning of chapter 3, God renews his call to Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So, So Jonah, it sounds like he's learned his lesson. He then goes to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. It was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. It would take three days' to walk around this city. So Jonah goes into the city, calls out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. This is the message that Jonah in the beginning didn't want to say, is that God is going to judge you for your sins. And then in verse 5, and the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. We would expect a normal prophet to be excited at this point. We would expect a prophet to be excited at this point. I have preached God's message and they have repented. We, we think that Jonah has had a change of heart. And yet, he, Jonah it says in verse 6, I'm sorry, in verse uh, chapter 4, it says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh God, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That this is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me for it is better for me to die than to live. What we find is that Jonah is a strange prophet who goes and gives God's message of judgment and then when God brings mercy, Jonah throws a fit and says, I knew it. This is exactly why I did not want to obey you because I knew you would show mercy and I did not want them to receive. So we find is that Jonah goes out of the city, climbs up on a hill to watch and hope and wait for God to judge the people, thinking this isn't going to last, their repentance isn't real, and God's mercy is not for them. So he goes up on that hill. God causes a vine to grow and then shade Jonah as he's sitting in the intense heat waiting for judgment. And then God sends a worm to eat that plant Chapter four, verse 10, the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much calf. We read this story of Jonah and we go, what a strange prophet. He doesn't want to speak God's message. He goes in the opposite direction. He wishes multiple times that he would die rather than see other people receive God's mercy. And I think What I want to show you today is three lessons that we learn here from this story of Jonah. As we look at this, this story as a whole, I want to show you three lessons that we learn from the, the story of Jonah. What we find in this story is that Jonah wanted to be the end of God's mercy. He was called to be the middle. Jonah liked God's mercy as long as it stopped with him. As long as it stopped at the borders of Israel. As long as it didn't go towards his enemies. Jonah liked God's mercy for himself. but He didn't like God's mercy for anybody else. Jonah was missing the call of God. Jonah and the people of Israel whom he represented as a prophet, were missing the fact that God called them to actually stand on the highway of God's mercy going to the nations and let it pass by and join in that. Instead, Jonah said, no, it stops right here with me. I don't want, anything, I don't want anybody else to receive this good news that I've received. Yes, my life has been preserved. Yes, God has shown me mercy. Yes, God has renewed the call, but they shouldn't hear the message. They shouldn't get that mercy. They shouldn't get this message. So, what we have to learn from this story of Jonah is that God's call to us is to be the middle of his mercy, not its end. That each one of us is called to be planted in the river of God's mercy and not try to stop it up and be happy that I've received God's mercy, but be a part of it flowing to our spouses and to our kids. God, how are you calling me to be the middle of your mercy so that it flows to those that are living on either side of me? that those who live across the street from me, God, can I have your heart so that the, your mercy flows through me to the people in my world? God's call to us is to be the middle of his mercy, not its end. I'm reminded of the book of Acts in Acts 17, where it says that God controls the movement of peoples so that they would seek him. That God controls those that move from one block to another, from one county to another, from one state to another, from one country to another. And the purpose of God controlling the movement of peoples is that they would seek him and know him. And so the call for us is to say, to look at our lives and say, nobody is in my life on accident and God has put me here so that they can know his mercy just as much as I have. Each one of us has to begin to look at our our kids and to our our spouses and to our parents, to our in-laws, co-workers and say, God has caused you to be in my life. And God wants to do a work of mercy in your life just as much as he did in mine. And so I want to be the middle of that mercy, not its end. I don't want to stop it up. I don't want to slow it down. The way Jonah and the way Israel and the way I am normally tempted to do. The second lesson that we learn here in the book of Jonah is that salvation does not belong to Jonah the end of chapter 2 Jonah gives lip service to this idea salvation belongs to the Lord salvation belongs to the Lord but yet Jonah hasn't really deeply in his heart learned that lesson Jonah hasn't learned that lesson deep in his soul that salvation isn't mine I don't determine where it goes I don't determine what it does Jonah was focused on me and on my people and on my time, and on my salvation, and me fulfilling everything that I want in my life. What Jonah has to learn and what we have to learn is that this salvation doesn't belong to us. God's plans and God's works don't belong to us. We don't control them. We do not harness them. We just join in. We're going into a new year. Many of us begin to set resolutions. We have goals for things that we want to do or habits that we want to develop or things that we want to accomplish in this new year. So often our our goals are focused on self-actualization. Let me maximize my life. Let me maximize my skills. Let me find out what's welling up in me that God has put inside me so I can have the fullest life possible. What we find here in the book of Jonah is that our lives are not our own. The call of God is actually for us to join in what he's doing. That salvation and his his work and his march in the world is what we are actually called to join into. We do not belong to ourselves. Our salvation does not belong to ourselves. God's mission does not belong to ourselves. Instead, we are called to spend our lives joining in what he's doing on our blocks and in our houses and around the world. So salvation does not belong to you. Salvation does not belong to me all in this new year is for us to look and see what is God up to and let me join Him. Let me forget myself and make much of Jesus and His salvation. The third lesson that we learn from the book of Jonah is we find that God is nothing like Jonah. I don't know about you, but so often, whether it's times in prayer, times of devotion, Times of going to a, a small group or a Bible study, times of going to church, we often have this idea of what God might be like and how He might receive me. And what we find in Jonah is very, very good news, is that if we come to God, that we will find somebody who's nothing like Jonah. We, we're not going to find somebody that's stingy and that says, "Look what you did. Look what you, how you screwed this up. Look at what you've done again." Go back and fix it and then come back into my presence. We, we don't find somebody that's like, you guys are so far gone, you don't get to hear God's message. You guys are so far gone that you're excluded from the people of God. What we instead find is a God whose heart is for the people of Nineveh. We find a God who delights in showing mercy to Jonah and he delights to show mercy to Jonah's enemies. What we find is that if we come to God, we are going to find somebody who's got so much compassion, we're going to find somebody who's so patient. We're going to find somebody who stoops to care for those that need care. We're going to find somebody who gives of himself. We're going to find somebody who's not vengeful, not who's taking things out on us and saying, look, if you just made something more of your life, then maybe I would give you the desires of your heart. We don't find somebody who's stingy, who's vengeful. Instead, we find somebody who delights in showing mercy far beyond what makes sense. So we read this passage and we see this story, this story of Jonah and this story of Israel and these lessons that it doesn't belong to him, this this lesson that God is not like Jonah. But We read this and I wonder, how does this point us towards Jesus? You see in the book of Luke, Jesus said that all the law and the prophets point to him. And so how does the story of Jonah actually let us see Jesus? Jesus said that that he was the sign of Jonah. Jesus said that he was the sign of Jonah. So we, when we begin to read this story, we can begin to see that Jesus is the true Israel, not the end of God's mercy, the one who didn't need God's mercy and instead gave himself for us. We found the one whom salvation belongs to who goes and he gives it to Samaritans and Gentiles, to at those that are unclean, those that are unholy, those that are unfit for God's kingdom, we see Jesus going out to them at wells and in public places. What we find is that Jesus is nothing like Jonah. And ultimately, in this story, we see Jonah goes up on a hill because he wants to see God's judgment on the people. And we find that Jesus is the one who goes up on a hill to take God's judgment from the people. So this this story is good news for those that listen. This story is good news for those that listen because we find in Jesus the fulfillment of how God is not like Jonah and how God is pouring himself out for me and for my spouse and for my kids and for my neighbors and for our church and for the nations. How could we know that God will receive us the way he received them in the Ninevites? The Bible tells us that starting in the book of Genesis, that God made the world and he made it good. And that he he put Adam and Eve to shepherd and steward and to rule over it as little kings and to express in their daily lives and in their work and in their relationships God's goodness and his care. And Adam and Eve and everybody else after them said, no, we aren't going to live by your rules. We will set our own rules. We will set up our own kingdoms. The Bible says that God drove Adam and Eve out of the garden and Adam and Eve and everyone after them sits under the judgment of God The judgment of God that that brings death into the world and that brings separation from God forever after death. But instead of leaving us there, we find stories like Jonah that begin whispering this message that God is pouring out his mercy on the nations, on you and on me. And then in Jesus, we find how that is totally fulfilled. That Jesus lived the life that Jonah and that Israel and that the Ninevites and that you and I should live. Died the death that we should die and was raised to life so that all who repent of sin and turn and trust in Jesus' obedience and Jesus' life and Jesus' death alone can then be welcomed in with all of the promises so that we can know that at any moment when we come to Jesus, we will find welcome and open arms somebody who's compassionate and merciful and not pouring out his anger on us because he's poured it out on Jesus in our place. So this, this passage, this story, the story of Jonah, starts with Ann tells us salvation doesn't belong to Jonah. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Imagine what that begins to do in a, in a person who realizes I am actually called to be in the middle of God's mercy. I am always welcome to come to my Father. And so now, how do I join God in what He's doing in the people's lives around me? This, we can so often just limit salvation to, oh, I can now go to heaven. Because I have trusted in Jesus. And in the story of Jonah, we end up finding that, yes, that's true. And that we get to then become the middle of God's grace flowing to our kids. The middle of God's grace flowing to our spouses. The middle of God's grace flowing, flowing to that unloved, unlovely co-worker. Imagine what that does when there's five, ten, fifteen, fifty 15, people that have planted themselves squarely alongside God's mercy. They're saying salvation does not belong to us. We're not going to clutch onto it. We're not going to control it. We're not going to determine who gets it. We're instead going to join with what God is doing. Imagine what happens in a person, in a family, in a church, when people know that if they come to God, that he will be nothing like Jonah. That they are welcome at any time, no matter how far they've gone, no matter how far they've gone. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you pour out your mercy on the Ninevites, on us, and on Jonah. We thank you that you do not give up with your your love and with your mercy. God, help us become the kind of people that really grasp that message. Salvation doesn't belong to us, it belongs to you. In Jesus' name,